0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. I'm doing something a little different this Easter. There are certain stories that are in the Gospels that you can't cut apart. And it's very awkward because often they're long. I think one of the stories is the story of the man born blind... I mean, it builds and builds and builds and builds. It has humor. It has sarcasm, you know. It has the exposure of motives. It's just like an incredible story. Well, this morning, I want us to look at the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection. And as we go to it, let's pray. So it's going to be a little weird because I'm going to read a lot of scripture. And I almost don't care if you look at it or in your Bible, but just listen, you know. But anyhow, do what you want. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these precious children. We thank you that you have blessed us with women and men who have faith to give themselves to raising a godly seed. We pray that they will do this and that their children will be godly. Father, as we come to your word, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so would you use these words now to convert us, to give us life, and to give us eternal life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture text is John chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole account, and then I'm going to come back and and have some things to say. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after he had said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, (laughs) I just love this. Oh, Let us also go so that we may die with him. (laughs) Such faith, eh? So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary, to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore... When she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how you loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, By this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. A man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in the Gospel of John, this is the exclamation mark at the end of Jesus' ministry. Three years, he had preached and taught. He had no place to lay his head. He had healed. He'd raised from the dead. He'd calmed the storms, and he had excoriated the Presbyterian pastors and the Unitarians. Think of the Presbyterians as being the Pharisees and the Unitarians as being the Sadducees. And so here at the end of John's history of those three years, in this story he perfectly sums up both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. Here we see in this account the two natures of Jesus Christ. He is man, he is God. His humanity is demonstrated by his love for Lazarus and the tears he shed as he approached Lazarus' grave. Here, John eleven thirty five is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's full of meaning, though. It's Jesus wept. His divinity is demonstrated by his power over death when he called out, Lazarus, come out. And out Lazarus came. It's interesting that none of the other gospels record this miracle. I can't figure that out, you know? It's like, are you serious, you know? (laughs) You wrote a history of the United States, you left out the Civil War? (laughs) You know, We don't know why, but we do know that this miracle forms a key part of the setting behind the tremendous outpouring of excitement and anticipation that came a short time later when Jesus came into Jerusalem for the Passover, and they had the triumphal entry that we celebrated last Sunday, Palm Sunday. The people welcomed him shouting, Hosanna in the highest, and laying their cloaks and palm branches down before him as he rode on the royal beast, as Jody preached to us last week, into the royal city. Now, Lazarus' hometown was Bethany, and that was two miles out, and depending on what city you're in, it's about 20 blocks, okay? And so, this demonstration of Jesus' power over death was a vivid backdrop to everything that happened from here on out. Now in the historical account, we see that Jesus was not in Bethany when Lazarus got sick and when he delayed coming because we read that Jesus was about 30 miles distant. And so it would have taken him a couple of days, a day or two to get there. And Lazarus, he didn't leave until Lazarus had already been two days in the grave. Now, why didn't Jesus come right away? We know he loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. We know Lazarus was in need. So why didn't he drop everything and come? Well, the answer is given in verse 4. He said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. And so Jesus, um, he delayed his coming and therefore assured the death of Lazarus. And why? It says, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. This is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now listen. You see the necessary deduction from that statement. Jesus puts in parallel construction the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God. Now what's the significance of this? The significance is that the Son of God is God. He's not a good man. To glorify Jesus is to glorify God. Calvin writes this. He says, God wishes to be acknowledged in the person of his Son in such a manner that all the reverence which he requires to be given to his own majesty may be ascribed to the Son. And for this reason, we're told, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. That's John chapter 5, verse 23. And then listen to the sober warning that Calvin gives. All right, you listening? Calvin then says this, It is vain for Mohammedans, who are Mohammedans? Muslims. It is vain for Muslims and Jews, therefore, to pretend to worship God, for they blaspheme against Christ, and even endeavor in this manner to rob God of himself. Oh man, how many many Easter sermons do you think have the common, you know, the condemnation of Islam, (laughs) you know? And yet, what a beautiful statement that Jesus said, hey, listen, the reason that this has happened is so that I will be glorified to the glory of God. And this means that those who deny the divinity of Christ are robbing God of Himself. Don't you, don't you dare help God. You know, don't you notice this often? You know, people are so zealous to protect God from Himself. Have you have you noticed this? You know, we had a guy in this church. He was real smart getting a doctorate. Now he's real wealthy at a prestigious school. Very prestigious, especially if you like sports. So you know it's not Harvard. And this man was just so concerned that if God chooses some and doesn't choose others, that people will think ill of God. He was so zealous to protect God from himself And so he robbed God by denying that God is the one who gives us faith. Now, he'd say, oh, yes, he gives us faith, but it's not the way you think it is. And so this is another example of the way that we rob God of his glory. We're always running around cleaning up after God. Have you noticed this? You know, well, you you know, and so, I mean, with sexuality, it's an ever-ending deluge, you know. Well, God, no, God really, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's like, well, I, you know, it's like we're giving birth, you know. We, on the one hand, we have what Scripture says, that, it, that to forsake woman for man is an abomination to God, because he made woman for man. Right, But on the other hand, no one understands it today, and shouldn't we show ourselves reasonable and sympathetic? You know what I'm saying. You know. Oh my goodness, I never stop having to defend Jesus Christ to our young teenagers. Including my own grandchildren. Because they're so susceptible to those who attack God and deny his glory and authority. And so here Calvin just stops and says, hey, listen, you do see here that Mohammedans and Jews rob God of his glory. Why? Because they deny the divinity, the full divinity of Jesus Christ. Those who deny the full divinity of Jesus Christ rob God of himself. Now we continue the account. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought they were speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them, plainly, Lazarus, you know, this is words you'll never hear at any Christian funeral any longer. You know, Lazarus is dead. I'm sorry, but it's so funny how desperately we attempt to forget death in the face of death today. You know? It's just it's just so awful. Everything is a celebration of life. I hope you will all come to my celebration of life in a few weeks. I don't know yet whether I'll be dead. And so here Jesus spoke of Lazarus being asleep, but he meant Lazarus was dead. And the disciples thought he meant Lazarus had come through the Kairos, the critical time, and was now getting better. All right? So you can imagine the confusion of the disciples hearing Jesus speak this way. What do you mean you're glad you weren't there? Seriously? Do you have no heart? We know your love for Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. How on earth would you be pleased to have stayed away from them, as Lazarus was in his death throes? Now, did they really know what Jesus was like? Yes, truthfully, they knew exactly what Jesus was like. They knew that Jesus was bold and courageous, also that he was tender. They had watched his fearlessness in rebuking the religious leaders of his day. They'd watched his loving instruction of the humble of heart. Anyhow, confusing as his words and delay were, at this point, they set off with him for Bethany, knowing somehow this would all help them to believe whatever that meant, because Jesus had said so. Jesus said, let's go to Lazarus, and off they went but what's up with Thomas? (laughs) That's a pretty negative confession, isn't it? He's always so helplessly hopeless. Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go so that we may die with him. Now on the one hand, you have to love the guy for loving Jesus, right? I'm really amazed to watch this last week how Jesus faults them for abandoning him. Because he says, you will all fall away. And fall away is not a positive statement. And yet, it's almost as if Jesus gives them every possible reason to fall away. It's almost as if he's, he discourages them. Well, anyhow, Thomas is on board with love even if he isn't on board with faith. And this is a pretty normal state of mind for Thomas. He had a problem with unbelief, but he didn't have a problem with love. And so off they went to the little town of Bethany in Judea. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. By the time they arrived in Bethany, a couple miles out of Jerusalem, 20 blocks, Lazarus had been dead four days. The place Jesus and his disciples had been staying before this, as I said, was 30 miles away. So it would have taken them a couple days walk to get there. Verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so this was like an Irish wake. Have any of you ever gone to an Irish wake? You know it's an Irish wake because there's tons of booze. Irish wake, all right? I once had to serve as a bartender at the Irish wake of my boss. And uh, I had no clue what any drink was, so I stood at the table with a mountain of alcohol in front of me, And the people would come up to me and I would say, okay, what do I start with? And I noticed that when I got to the alcohol, that I would say, tell me when, but they never said when. (laughs) They'd just buried this Episcopalian, if you receive my meaning, and they were having a high old time in his home, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, Manchester, (laughs) you know, Lobster Cove. Smith's Point. And uh, at one point, I I had a couple of children at the time, and at one point I was reduced to crawling through their legs on my hands and knees to find the cigarette that was still smoking on the oriental carpet (laughs) and picking it up and trying to, like, scuff out the ashes of the wool it was very dignified, that Irish wake. And so here we have all these people from Jerusalem coming out to Bethany. It's 20 blocks. They can walk. It's easy. And they're all gathered there to help with the grief. They spend about a week. They do the food. They do the cleaning. They, they cry when they're supposed to. They walk to the grave when the woman of the house... The women of the house want to walk to the grave. Don't picture some super spiritual scene. No. You know, generally, we're no more godly at death than we are at birth. (laughs) Death doesn't somehow wake us up. And so there would have been a lot of sin going on there. It would have been sinners gathered there. And the significant thing is, this is right next to Jerusalem. And so tons of people from Jerusalem come out because it's convenient. You know how you don't go to funerals that are a thousand miles away? But if it's close by, you're there. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, verse 19 Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And it was these very Jews, did you read at the end of the story, do you remember? It's these very Jews who went back and tattled on the resurrection to whom? To the Presbyterian ministers. The Pharisees. They went back and told them what had gone on. They were not benevolent. They were there grieving the death of Lazarus with a family that Jesus loved. They went back and reported on it to the Pharisees. Why did Jesus do this miracle at that place? Calvin comments, he says, now it's a convincing proof of the base ingratitude of the nation. He's talking about the Jews. We're so, we're so desirous of not seeing Semitism anywhere except anti-Semitism today. You know, you can condemn anti-Semitism, but you can never say anything about Jews. But Calvin lived five centuries ago So he's still able to speak the truth, and he says it's a convincing proof of the base ingratitude of the nation. This is the Jews. That this striking demonstration of divine power at a well-known place amidst a vast crowd of men and near the gates of the city, and which might almost be said to be erected on a stage instantly vanishes from the eyes of men. We should rather say that the Jews, by maliciously shutting their eyes intentionally, do not see what is before their eyes. Now, you can listen to me, you can say, oh, you know, he's an anti-Semite, you know, he's he's against the Jews, you know. (laughs) Come on, people. (laughs) Do you realize that we are the Jews? Because what it meant to be a Jew was to be God's people. This is us. If we refuse to see the wickedness of the Jews, guess what happens? We do that because we refuse to see the wickedness of the Christians today. If you don't want to see the Jews, you'll never see the Christians. I just said it's Presbyterians. Now, we know how intense this scene was because in verse 20, we read, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. I think it's interesting that if you remember the other scene with Mary and Martha that time, it was Mary who was with Jesus, and it was Martha that was off doing the work. They've switched roles here. Likely, Mary went out alone away from Bethany to meet Jesus in private because of the hostility and the murderous plots against Jesus. She was safely outside of Bethany, and because of that, her master was safe also outside Bethany. Do you get it? In other words, she knew the malicious intents of the Jews that had come out of Jerusalem to mourn with her. Verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, do we all know what that is? It's called a complaint. It's called an accusation. She loved him, he loved her, and she complained. All right? What a combination of thoughts and feelings, though. She says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you this weird complaint, you know. And then, but, but I have faith. But you failed. You failed, but I have faith. And, you know, that's us, <laughs> you know. God, I'm disappointed in you, says Phil Yancey. And yet I have faith. Well, good for your faith. Had you been here, what might have been? Even now, what still might be? Now stop and ask yourself just for a second, is it true that had Jesus been there in Bethany when Lazarus was sick, Lazarus would not have died? Or asking the same question another way, would Jesus had to have been there with Lazarus to heal him? Or ask it another way, would Jesus had to have been there to raise Lazarus from the dead? No! Do we think so little of God's providence that we're willing to deny the good of what has come to pass, telling ourselves with perfect certainty that what might have come to pass would have been better? So little Danny was the age of Caroline, and I was the age of Elias when Danny died, and you remember me telling you that forever after that, every night at family devotions, I would pray and ask God to raise Danny from the dead. And I was absolutely certain it was the right thing for God to do, and I had childlike faith. And isn't that typical of us—that we think if our inclinations are good, benevolent, whatever you want to call them, righteous—you know, little child has faith. Doesn't God have an obligation to answer the child's prayer? Is God able to raise Danny from the dead when Timmy prays at the age of four? Of course. After all, something unbelievably more amazing happens every morning when the sun rises. When he says it won't, it won't. And then you'll realize what a miracle it is. Do not be presumptuous with God. Do not tell God what he must do. And if you have a little child that prays Make sure you teach that child that he is to pray to the glory of God and not to the healing of his own sense of sadness or, you know, whatever you want to describe me as. Teach your children that God is sovereign and that his ways are not our ways. Don't stop them from praying. it, But make sure that they learn the nature of God that God isn't their toady because of a verse in Scripture that says he is their toady. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm using language that is, is, maybe shouldn't be used about God. But anyhow. Now we come to the heart of the exchange. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says to her, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? <laughs> She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And you know, it's very interesting that the prominent theme of the Gospel of John is always faith and unbelief. And the faith and belief that John presents is always faith in Jesus Christ it's constantly pushed right in our face through the text of the Gospel of John that faith in God is faith in Jesus. They're inseparable. Now, I want to read you a little section from the previous chapter. This happened right before what we're reading now, all right? And John Tenet says, at that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Same complaint, accusatory. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe, because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, Is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. And do you remember what comes next? Ha, 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 ha. Anybody? Anybody know what comes next? Come on, you Bible students. Okay, Annie, tell me. Ha! Right on, do that. Very well done, Annie. The next statement is, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Don't tell me that the Bible is not doctrinal. Don't tell me that Christ unites and doctrine divides. Any union devoid of doctrine is a false union. And if there's ever been a day that sees a plethora of false unions, it is the West today, which is constantly prattling, if you don't know the word, it's a good one, about its unity in diversity. And there's not an ounce of unity in the Western world. And you say, well, yeah, that's because of President Trump. And I say, shut up. Just shut up. It's not political. It's that all through history, we have been determined to take the innate knowledge of what is good and right and true that God has placed in our hearts and flip it upside down and then make a big show of how we are what God has shown us to be good. And so, you know... Unity, peace, are good, right? And so we then flip it upside down, and we take diversity and pluralism and absolutize them, and then claim we have unity and peace. And there is no unity or peace. There's none. It has nothing to do with President Trump has nothing to do with the fact that men are in positions of authority, disproportionately still, although we're doing everything we can to flip that one upside down too. Women actually are not peacemakers. Did you know this? (laughs) What women really are is intensely jealous for their own children, (laughs) which is how God made them, so it's good as long as men are above them and bring some objective rationality. Now, come on. If you don't know this, you're a fool. Women are women. I mean, I'm sorry, but they're beautiful. But it doesn't mean you put a woman as head of Germany or England, the UK, and all of a sudden the world is going to live as one. Imagine there's no... You know, it's just stupid. It is when we take the truth that God has put in our hearts of what is the supreme good, which certainly peace is, and then we seek the peace and the truth of Scripture. And then the peace that comes to us is mind-boggling. You know, Some of you know this last week, my book talking about how to love gays was yanked from Amazon. You know, we knew it was coming. You know, we knew that they couldn't allow that book to stay there, you know, because it was just biblical, you know. And Amazon hates scripture. And it was really interesting that at 68, I kind of just simply had a piece about it. I didn't get all frazzled because I recognized in Passion Week, you know, it happens, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's real weird. You know, it happens now, you know, and I thought to myself, you stupid idiot, this is me talking to myself, okay, you stupid idiot, this is always what Christians have dealt with all through history. This is nothing new. And you should count it a privilege, you know, just it just counted a privilege. And then I got an email from, uh, from one of you telling me the same thing. And, and so in the midst of life, we, as the people of God, have persecution. And the wicked are constantly dividing from us and then accusing us of dividing from them. Okay? Keep your eye on the ball. Never forget when Anthony was leaving the service. Stand up. That's Anthony, okay? You can sit down. I'll never forget when Anthony was leaving the service. He'd asked if we would, if we would marry him and his, his woman. And we said, yeah, as long as you come to church. Just, just show up. And Anthony, being a man of honor, said yes and did what he said. And so he was coming, you know, and you're preaching to him. You know, he's not a Christian, you know. Then one Sunday, he, he was a part of a scream a screamo emo group, right? Is that basically what it was? And one Sunday, he's going out. He never makes much of himself anywhere, anytime, Anthony. But as he's leaving, he, he stops and he says, hey, I was wondering if I could be baptized. And I look at him, I say, Really? Why? And he said, well, I've been wanting our band to perform songs about Jesus that I've written. And they hate me for it. And so I've been thinking, if I'm persecuted for Jesus, I should be baptized. And It was such a joy to me. I mean, there is an evangelical testimony. <laughs> I figure if I'm getting persecuted for Jesus, now's the time to get baptized. I mean, you realize why I'm emotional about this. It's like every truth that Wheaton will not admit. It's almost the antithetical opposite from evangelicalism, where if you get baptized, then you don't get persecuted (laughs) because you learn all the smart ways to avoid persecution. And no, you're not persecuted if you like Donald Trump. Don't even dignify it with persecution. But he wrote songs about Jesus. And his band members couldn't stand it. And they began spitting on him. And he thought, huh, guess it's time to get baptized. Come on, that's drop-dead gorgeous. You imagine how Jesus would have responded to him. So, thank you, Anthony. You can say you're welcome. Seriously, thank you. And so we see that Jesus says, I and the Father are one, doctrinal statement, it doesn't divide. It is the only peace, the only unity. And then, now, Annie, I know you don't know what came next. Does anybody here know the next statement of that text? Anybody at all? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, say it again. That's right. The Jews picked up stones, again, to stone him. It's just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Belief and unbelief, that's always what it comes down to, isn't it? Belief and unbelief. Some believed our Lord when he declared, I and my Father are one. Others picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus had said, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Perish. And here Jesus says the same to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Every man... Now, why did Jesus say this? Was Jesus talking about physical resurrection and physical death? No, he was not. He was talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death is more real than physical death. Spiritual death is what every single one of us has been born into. We have all been born corrupted by Adam, by Adam's sin. And this is the reason that it says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. This is one of the most difficult truths to preach. Because most of the world most of the world hides out Most of the world hides out in the land of good choices. Most of the world hides out in that place where there is a modicum of propriety. A modicum of plausible deniability. Most of the world hides out in a place where if you can raise children who have learned to make good choices, you will have the respect of other mothers as their children make bad choices. And actually, it's immaterial to you as a mother whether you take more pride from your children's good choices or from their children's bad choices, because you always knew that mother was inferior to you. And those are mothers. And then we look at the sins of fathers, our concupiscence, another word that's died. Our lust, our pride, our greed. And we will not, describe ourselves as dead. We will not. And we have a lot of ways of accomplishing it. One of the ways is to be a Christian child and talk a lot about how godly your grandmother was. And that's a a second-order claim of righteousness because we all know that God works through families, and so you have a godly grandmother, you know, you can be bisexual and, you know be a lazy dog, be vain. But you have a godly grandmother. You know what I'm saying? We all think that God's affections run in line with our affections. Are you with me? And we will not admit that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we will not come to Jesus And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, he says, do you believe this? We say, oh, yes. And just the tone of our voice, our intonation, just the tone of our voice makes it clear we have no faith. Do you believe? Oh, yes. No, no, no. Do you believe? Yeah, I already told you I do. Oh, so, like, a split second later, I'm a problem to you? I mean, you hear that. I already told, you know, I already said, what's wrong with you? Why would you ask me this question? You know? Do you believe? For heaven's sakes, move on, it's getting late. No, 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 no. Do you have anything good in you to offer to God? Well, now that's a different question, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so, of course, what we would all say is, well, I like to think I do. So you're not dead then, right? Well, I mean, he's just talking about the fact that it's really difficult. No, actually, he's saying dead. Well, yeah, but Jesus said he was asleep. I mean, there are, you know, and in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you know, you know, the first couple of chapters, it, it says Yom, but Yom can be, you know, 100 million years. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, words, you have to be careful with words in scripture. It doesn't really mean dead. Look at me. I'm an upstanding member of society. I do my work. I have good children. My husband is faithful. And what on earth? Dead? My mommy never taught me that. <laughs> I say, yeah, that's because your mommy is not dead either. Oh, oh, if I'd been privileged with the mother and mother-in-law I was given. <laughs> my mama was never, ever, ever impressed with anything I ever done did. Not once. <laughs> Not once. <laughs> if you, mama, are a fan club, my mother was the opposite of you. <laughs> and I can still hear her voice. Tim! and inevitably I have failed, I'm wrong, I'm proud, I'm stupid, I'm foolish, I'm undisciplined, everything. (laughs) All at once. And she loved me. She never stopped teaching me that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Now, how many of you think that's a good mama? Good, I was hoping some of you would raise your hand. Now, let's go to my mother-in-law. Do you know what my favorite thing was about my mother-in-law? There are a lot of things I love and honor about my mother-in-law. But there's one thing that's my fave. And that is, now, this woman was dignified. She was German, and her father, no, it was her mother. Her mother was, yep, her mother was Lutheran. Now, you put German and Lutheran together, and she grew up in a home of extreme wealth. You put wealth and Lutheran and German together, and you have the trifecta. She was very dignified. And do you know what? Every single time she prayed, do you know what she did? She cried. And do you know what she cried about? She cried about her unworthiness. Can you imagine how that won my heart? Imagine the testimony that was to me to have a mother-in-law who was godly and feminine and who had repented of her Germanic Lutheranism. It's kind of a joke. And she never stopped. I don't ever remember any time that she prayed that she did not confess in her intonation, in her hovering around tears, and in the words she said that she was dead in her trespasses and sins, but she had her eyes on Jesus. Do you believe these things? Do you realize that when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus knew why he was coming. You remember the Philippian jailer. Nicodemus and the Philippian jailer were just the same. The Jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus, this religious leader, a Presbyterian? He said to him, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The whole premise is death. A man who's living must be born again to live eternally. It is teaching us that we, all of us, are dead in our trespasses and sins and cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless God gives us new life through the Holy Spirit. You can never please God until the Holy Spirit births you again. As an old man, as a young man. You remember, how can an old man be born again? You know? Nicodemus had no clue what Jesus was saying. But we think he learned. So Jesus has said this to her I am the resurrection and the life. So we read in verse 28, she she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, this shows you the division among the mourners that are with her in her home. She says to her secretly, because she does not want all the people who are intent on killing Jesus to come out with her. So she says to her secretly, the teacher is here, he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Well, it didn't quite work out the way she wanted because it says, now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, same complaint. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus took our flesh upon himself. But Jesus also took our emotions upon himself. In Hebrews 4.15 we read, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus was not weeping for Mary and Martha and for Lazarus. Jesus was weeping for every form of wickedness and sickness and suffering and grief and death and judgment, suffered by man in this veil of tears. As we say each time we join together at the graveside, in the midst of life, we are in death. And of whom may we seek for relief, but of thee, O Lord, who for our sins art justly, Displeased. There are those who deny life as it is, this veil of tears. Those who deny any need to be born again, those who declare they are living fully and not at all dead. There are those who see life as it is, this veil of tears. We shed as we await judgment, and yet they gnash their teeth at God, choosing to reside in vanity fair rather than in the house of God. And then there are those who see life as it is, this veil of tears, and flee to God through faith in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36, and so the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? And so Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Why on earth? You know? Why on earth? Do you know what I'm asking? Why on earth would he say, remove the stone? Why did he say, stone, remove? (laughs) You know, I think that's a kick. You know, he required faith, right? Remove the stone. He told people, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, By this time, there will be a stench. For he has been dead four days. This is everything about death that no funeral will ever say today. Good thing about cremation is you never stink. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, and if you'd want to understand fatherhood and sonship, you read through the gospel of John. It is so wonderful. And so Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. (laughs) I know all of you are just waiting to join me. So let's have at it. He cried out, with a loud voice, come on, Lazarus, come out! Let's do it one more time. Lazarus, come out! (laughs) Oh my goodness, would you give anything to be there? Oh. (laughs) Oh my goodness, and the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. <laughs> you know, you know. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But but, but. some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The Presbyterians. Presbyterian ministers. Oh, we knew what was right, didn't we? It was unseemly. It was not decent and not in order. And Presbytery did not, most certainly did not approve. So, dear brothers and sisters, do you believe... Is death a scandal to you or is death the proof to you? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And that everyone who believes in him will live forever? Hmm. Hmm. You. You. Do you believe Jesus loves? You remember Carl Bart was asked, "Have you heard this?" Bart was asked what the deepest theological truth. <laughs> Say it real loud. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Thank you, David. I want you all to be there. Every single one of you. Jesus is not a good man. Jesus is God incarnate. And who would ever be ashamed of him? Who would ever turn him in? would ever want to kill him? Well, only those who knew they were not, most certainly not dead in their trespasses and sins. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful account. We wish we had been there. Thank you for not abandoning your son, but vindicating him in the presence of the wicked. Father, we embrace and accept the humiliation that comes with following the Savior of the world. We pray that we will not flee from his cross, but will take it as a point of privilege and joy to die as he died himself. Give us faith, Father, would you please pour out your spirit on us that we might be known as those who truly love the God who exists and not the God that is fabricated ideologically. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.